We're continuing in our series through 1 John, and we get to chapter 4. So today we'll read from 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. This is the word of the Lord. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is a spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this, we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. This is the word of the Lord. All right. So as I mentioned, we are going through First John this summer. And um, I think everybody should know this by now, but I'll repeat it just in case anybody is... Uh, hearing this for the first time, but this is a letter that's written to a community that is feeling the impact of a crisis that happened in the community, and the crisis is basically this. You had a group of people, they seceded from the church community because they had a different view about Jesus, and a few weeks ago when we looked at chapter two, I gave this illustration uh, of an audience watching a play, and the unique thing about watching a play is that in a sense, everybody is going to see it a little bit differently because everybody is in a different seat. And based upon that different seat, they have a slightly different perspective. If you are sitting in the front row, you may notice more of the details of the costume. But if you're sitting towards the back or if you're sitting from the balcony, you may notice uh, the bigger picture and see how the set pieces and the actors all fit together but you're still watching the same play. And similarly, there are different perspectives and expressions of Christianity to be sure, uh, definitely uh, from a global perspective. Uh, different people, different cultures may have different perspectives when it comes to understanding uh, the Bible and that's a legitimate thing. But I also said it's not legitimate to say that uh, even though the actor wore a brown suit, I'm going to change the play and say that the actor actually wore this baseball uniform because that's not necessarily seeing things from a different perspective, but that's actually distorting the play itself. And the group that broke away from the church, they are doing the latter. They are saying things like Jesus did not come in the flesh and Jesus wasn't the Christ. And whenever something like that happens, there's always collateral damage. And some people must have been uh, left confused and wondering what to believe and uh, maybe the uh, their core foundation of what they believed about life and salvation have been shaken and therefore they started to ask questions and maybe have some doubts and lack assurance about things like their salvation and so what John wants to do is he he basically wants to give this community some assurance of their salvation and he points to things that evidence their faith and he talks a lot about love, which is actually the reason why I wanted to look at this letter in the first place. Now, today's passage uh, is actually going to be a similar message to the one a few weeks ago. And if you remember the first message I gave in 1 John, I said uh, it can be a little bit repetitive. So uh, this is another kind of repetition because it has to do with being able to discern what is true and what is false. And John says that many false prophets have gone out into the world, and therefore we should not believe every spirit. But what we have to do is we have to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. And so today, we're basically going to spend some time reflecting on how to discern whether something is from the spirit of truth 
or from the spirit of error. Now, there's a part of me that wants to say uh, discernment is especially important in our day to day because the internet gives us access to so much information and so much content. And, uh, you know, I think I have to work harder to be discerning about reading the news and because the news is being told from a particular perspective and then you add like social media and things like that. And uh, it's probably true that we have to be a discerning people, but then I really think about it and that's probably an overstatement to say that we need greater discernment today because discernment was actually always important for the church and maybe in particular the early church. You know, when the communities who received these New Testament writings when they received them, when they heard them, they didn't have uh, a canon of scripture yet in terms of having the New Testament. And so what they had to do is they had to trust the teachings and eyewitness accounts of the apostles. And in that context, it would probably have been easy for someone to say that they heard a message from God and contradict the apostles' teaching, which is why uh, in the early church, they needed discernment. And so, for example, when Paul writes to Timothy, uh, in 1 Timothy 4, he says, In later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. And then in 2 Timothy 4, he talks about how the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. So discerning the truth is something that's always been important because it can determine whether you continue in the faith or depart from it, which is the context of what uh, both John and Paul are talking about in these letters. Now, what's interesting in our passage is John doesn't say, do not believe every teacher. He doesn't say, do not believe every message. What does he say? He says, do not believe every spirit. Okay. Do not believe every spirit. Uh, we tend to assume, I think, uh, that people arrive at truth or error based on uh, reason based on intelligence based on things like education and therefore the more intelligence one has or the greater education one receives then the greater their ability to discern truth from error but that's not actually how the new testament writers looked at it when paul talks about false teaching to timothy he talks about deceitful spirits he talks about the passions of the heart and believing in something that will suit their own passions in other words people will believe what they want to believe not because it's true, but because of deceitful spirits and a desire to fulfill the passions of their hearts. And that tells us that being able to discern truth from error is not primarily an intellectual exercise, but a spiritual one. Uh, that is not to say that the mind or the intellect is irrelevant in discerning truth, but at the same time, the intellect can come up with things that sound reasonable in order to satisfy the passions of the flesh rather than the truth that comes from God. Now, there's this professor that I have talked about in the past, and I, I find him to be really helpful. He teaches at uh, Stern, uh, the business school at NYU, and he wrote this book called The Righteous Mind. And he's basically trying to understand why intelligent and good people, good moral people, arrive at very different positions uh, with respect to things like morality and politics and religion. Now, he's not a Christian, so he's, he's writing from a secular humanist perspective, but he argues that, you know, people arrive at these moral and political positions, not based on reason, but based on intuition. Uh, reasons are constructed in order to support our intuitions. And that in itself would explain why you could have a perfectly rational explanation about something that another person disagrees with. 
and it wouldn't necessarily do much to persuade them. At best, maybe it makes them examine their intuitions, but the way to change someone's perspective doesn't primarily happen through the faculties of the mind. That, that's his argument. Now, even though he's writing from a secular humanist perspective, I do think he's onto something that is compatible with what the Bible would say. But rather than intuition, which is confined to the individual, uh, I think John would say, we get to the truth or we get to truth or error based on the spirits that we listen to or the spirits that we believe in. Christians acknowledge the existence of a spiritual realm along with a spiritual enemy whose aim is to deceive through counterfeit truths in order to lead people away from God. And therefore, the way to discern truth from error depends on being able to discern the spirits. So how do we test the spirits, like John says, to see if they are from God? First, uh, John tells us, he says in verse 2, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Now, the role of the Holy Spirit is to illuminate Jesus, and therefore, when someone confesses uh, anything about Jesus, it is indicative of, of, of whether they are from God. Uh, if we use that illustration of a play that I mentioned in the beginning, the role of the Holy Spirit is basically to be that spotlight that shines the light on the main actor in the drama. And therefore, if someone can see Jesus as he is, as he has come in the flesh, now what that means is that they can see what the Holy Spirit has spotlighted for them. One who is in the dark, if there is no spotlight, can't see Jesus as he is, and therefore will confess things that are not true or consistent with this testimony of the apostles. The second thing John says, uh, he tells us in verse 4, he says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And then he says in verse 6, Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And uh, I guess this second point um, maybe um, functions as a little bit of a corrective to the first one. You know, confessing the right things about Jesus is important, but at the same time, it's actually not enough. Uh, we know it's not enough because there are instances in the New Testament where evil spirits also confess the right doctrine or the right things about Jesus. So, for example, you have a story in Mark chapter 5, and there's this man who is cutting himself with stones, and the man cries out to Jesus in a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? Now, that's an accurate descriptor of Jesus. And what Jesus ends up doing is he ends up casting out this demon that possesses man. And um, uh, this unclean spirit named Legion, uh, Jesus had to cast it out. Now, if you think about that story, uh, this demon was able to accurately address Jesus as he is. But still, it was an unclean spirit that had to be cast out. And so, therefore, it's not just having like the right, let's put it this way. It's not about having just the right doctrine, um, but you also have to kind of have a, a life in you. You have the one who, uh, who can help you overcome when you have Jesus, and therefore if you know God, then you will be able to discern truth from error because you have the spirit of truth. There's a, a Catholic priest named Henry Nouwen, and he wrote this book on discernment, and of course yeah, I can't agree with everything that he writes in the book because he, uh, he says pray to the saints, but uh, he does have some helpful things to say about being able to distinguish spirits of truth from that of falsehood. And I found two things in particular that he said to be helpful. First, he says this. 
He says, discernment of spirits is a lifelong task. I can see no other way for discernment than to be committed to a life of unceasing prayer and contemplation, a life of deep communion with the Spirit of God. And as with all relationships, it takes time to know the Spirit of God. But as you live in communion with God and grow in your knowledge of Him through that communion, you will be able to better discern that which is from God and that which is from the devil. And second, he says, it's important to actually dwell in the light. He says, when I try to confront the powers of darkness directly, I often feel so powerless that I lose contact with the source of my own life. How easy it is to become a victim of the very forces I am fighting against. When all my attention goes to protesting death, death itself may end up receiving more attention than it deserves. And then he goes on to draw some wisdom from 4th century Egyptian monks, and he writes, Instead of paying so much attention to the prince of darkness, they, meaning these Egyptian monks, they advise their disciples to focus on the Lord of light and thus indirectly but inevitably thwart the power of darkness. Uh, in other words, what he's saying is, you know, we can focus too much on fighting against the enemy uh, without making sure we are actually walking in the light. And if all our focus is on uh, fighting darkness without the aspect of walking in the light, then that itself will be to our detriment. I think that particular point is important, uh, especially in, in the kind of climate we're living in now. Uh, everybody wants to fight the other side. Everybody wants to deconstruct the other side, uh, including a lot of Christians. Uh, fighting evil and deconstruction is necessary. Uh, but the warning from these Egyptian monks is not to engage in these battles of darkness without being in the light. And that seems to be wise counsel. So many people are angry about the things that they read on social media or the news. And I do think it takes a spiritual toll on us when that is what we are consuming uh, our time with. And I think it will infect our ability to discern correctly. The way to discern the spirit of truth from the spirit of error uh, is not to consume a lot of information and news and social media and things like that. But the way to discern spirit of truth and the spirit of error is you have to know God and you have to abide in him. Now, I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but it bears repeating. Uh, one of the things that makes God unique is he is the creator. Uh, that God is the only one who can be truly original, and all creativity is actually derived from him. All creativity derives from what God himself created. And that's also what sets God apart from the devil. You know, Satan cannot create, uh, but the best he can do is counterfeit that which God created. So when we think about discerning the truth, that means we have to be able to discern the difference between something that is true and something that is counterfeit. And that's not always easy. And the reason why counterfeits are so attractive and so deceptive is because they do reflect some aspect of truth or reality in some form or fashion. And the reflection of reality is what will probably draw us in. But then because it's a counterfeit, it won't give us what we really and truly need from that which is true. When it comes to detecting counterfeit money, people don't study all the ways money can be counterfeited. They make sure they intimately know the original so that they can detect what is off about the counterfeits. So we have to be in communion with the Spirit of God so intimately, know God so intimately, that we can detect counterfeit spirits who ultimately want to steal, kill, and destroy. And that means you can discern whether something is from God or from a false prophet also based upon its fruit. Now, that's what Jesus says in Matthew 7. Jesus warns his disciples to 
Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves, and you will recognize them by their fruit. Ultimately, the spirit of truth gives life, not death. The spirit of truth reveals forgiveness, not condemnation. The spirit of truth produces love, not anger and destruction. If there is a spirit of shame, condemnation, manipulation, anger, bitterness, insecurity, and control, then the fruit is bad, and it does not come from the spirit of truth, and it is likely a counterfeit. But we can say that confidently because what is the role of the Holy Spirit? The role of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Jesus to us, to reveal the gospel to us, to reveal the cross to us. And through Jesus, we're supposed to find covering rather than shame, justification rather than condemnation, nurture rather than manipulation, peace rather than anger, love rather than bitterness, encouragement rather than insecurity, and freedom rather than control. And that's why we need to start evaluating and maybe re-evaluating what makes for things like a healthy marriage, a healthy family, a healthy church, a healthy organization. Do we base the health on external appearances, on achievements, on size, on budgets, on platforms, on popularity? If you've been part of groups or organizations uh, maybe at work that seem successful on the outside that have a great brand, but in your experience, you know what kind of how toxic the environment is on the inside, then you, you know of all people that it's possible to achieve some of these markers uh, through toxic leadership, through toxic culture. But is there good fruit? Is there peace? Is there love? Is there joy? Is there patience? Is there kindness? Is there goodness? Is there faithfulness? Is there gentleness? Is there self-control? Do people feel freedom or do people feel oppressed? Are people manipulated to give and to serve and to work? Or do people do so without compulsion and full of joy? You see, it is the spirit of truth then that will produce good fruit because ultimately it will be rooted in the abiding love of Jesus. Now we need to be a discerning people. And there are many narratives, and I, I guess I would say there are many satanic narratives out there in, in the sense that there are many counterfeit narratives out there out there that are leading to more destruction. You know, I was on a Zoom call a few weeks ago, and <clears throat> actually now it's probably a few months ago, and, you know, some of the local uh, black pastors of New York, they're basically just sharing some of their insights uh, during all the protests when uh, it was happening in the thick of things. And I, I appreciated what one pastor reminded us when he said this. He said, racism is fundamentally a spiritual issue. And that's something that we have to keep in mind. It's not a social problem first. It's not a historical problem first, but it's a spiritual problem first. Satan has inserted this destructive narrative, uh, this racist narrative that has plagued our institutions, including churches all across America. And we have to destroy the narrative. Uh, but not with another spirit of error. And that's going to be the danger. We have to confront spiritual problems with the spirit of truth. He will lead us away from death into the way of life as he illuminates the person and the work of Jesus. Abide in him so that you can test the spirits and see whether they are from God. And only then will you be able to fight counterfeits by communing with the spirit of truth. Let's pray.